were we before shame told us we weren't enough? I asked myself that question three years ago and I haven't stopped since. You see, shame tells us that we're alone in how we feel, that it doesn't matter what we think or say or believe. Every part of us that feels unfindable, unreachable, unseeable, unlovable has shame in it. And I believe so fervently that there is power in speaking to that shame. So join me as we reclaim the space that shame has taken up. Hello, you incredible human. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for spending your time with me. I'm your host, Emily Stearman. And on today's episode of Speaking to Shame, we have the specialist of guests. The only adult I've ever seen completely naked. What? <laughs> <laughs> My husband, Nate. Nathan. Nate is from Kenosha, Wisconsin, where he learned to respect good cheese, Chicago deep dish, and the Cubs. He has a degree in human biology and is now a microbiologist. Uh, you could think of him as a mad scientist, you know, because he mixes and stirs stuff all day. He even has a lab coat with his name on it. It's important to have your name on it. <laughs> Nate and I met his freshman year of college, which means he got to skip the entire process of awkward dating at the super religious college we attended. We were married a year after meeting and have spent seven years together traveling, trying new foods, starting but not finishing movies, having babies, dancing, and working through heaps of shame. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here at well, our house, <laughs> talking with my wife. <laughs> uh, it's a good time. Normal Tuesday night, except for this time we're recording, right? Did you ever see us here? Uh, like, I get, okay, so here in a good way, in a healing way, growing and going through trauma and shame, for sure. Uh, we've been doing that for a lot of years. But I mean, <laughs> like, on a podcast in our living room, talking about <laughs> some of our biggest marital heartbreaks and breakthroughs. <laughs> Yeah, no, can't uh, say I've ever pictured that exact scenario. <laughs> it's very niche. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I never thought I'd be in a place either where I'd want to, like, share the more finite points mm. of my closest relationship. And, like, I knew marriage was something that would be hard, involve, you know, making hard choices and difficult decisions. But I think that... uh what I didn't see was the healing that came through, like, the, the heartbreaking conversations that we've had to have. Yeah, that's so true. I wouldn't change it, though. If I could go back, I wouldn't change the general plot of our stories. Maybe, like, some fine points. Um, but that heartbreak, I wouldn't change it. Because it's brought us to a place of such intimacy and closeness. Mm -hmm. Sharing my part of our story is much different than it would have been even a year ago, I think. Because it feels like the entire world has been in a melting pot of refinement and struggle in the last year. And our life has been no different. But to tell it now with my last year's work on healing and speaking to my own shame, it, it's going to be full of so much more understanding and grace. More like a, a puzzle to put together than a problem to solve. Yeah, I really feel that. Like, as we've been working together on this, it's brought a, a, a much clearer picture. Because each time we work through these heartbreaks and ups and downs, 
I get to see more of the picture that is you mm. and like your goals and your hopes and your dreams. And it's been nothing but awe striking to really get to watch this happen. Aww. Like when we got married, I Aww. I knew I was signing up for unexpected things, but even still I'm seeing like in real time the bigger picture as we're working through our struggles and shame to build a more cohesive marriage and a more cohesive family. Mm. You said it. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Nothing to add. <laughs> well, I mean, our story. Let's add our story. Yeah. I'll start. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Uh, so we just, we started out with just a huge amount of shame. I'd say for myself, and I've been trying to figure out the word to describe this, trying to find a different word than the word that came to my mind immediately. But there's no substitute for this word. Just a shit ton of shame. Um, I tried and tested out like garbage trucks worth of shame, a ton of shame, but no, it's just a shit ton of shame. It's a metric. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a metric. It's a f- fulfilling metric. Oh, yes. Just so much shame, though, about how I looked and about being a good wife and even my worthiness to be a wife at all. Not to even touch the iceberg that was my unresolved childhood trauma and the shame I had around that. So I was, I was heavily in the I'll take anything I can get stage of shame when we met. I wonder if we could map out, you know, the, the stages of grieving, if we mapped out the stages of shame. Um, I wonder if that would be one of the stages, the stage that's just so desperate for attention, for belonging, for connection, that we'll take whatever we can. And it's heartbreaking. Anyway, I was there in that stage, super unsure of myself. Um, Just before I met Nate, I was dating a narcissist who just battered the hell out of me emotionally. Yeah, he sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was rough. It was a rough time. But yeah, so that's where I was when we met. And when we dated and when we got married, um, against my hopes, uh, just spoiler alert, against my hopes and wishes, uh, none of those feelings of shame went away until I made them go away. So I lived like that for the first two plus years of our marriage. Um, And it was hard. How would you say you came to our relationship shame-wise? So growing up... um... My parents didn't really have a solid relationship, and I saw that as I got older and saw more of my friends and how their parents interacted. I kind of picked up on my own parents' unhappiness. And then when I graduated high school shortly after, uh, they decided to get a divorce, and that caused a lot of shame to fester in me because of kind of how I grew up in a very staunchly Christian home and like in a Christian community. Most of my friends were from church and most of, you know, the people I really spent a lot of time with were um, that same sect of Christianity. And uh, on top of all that, I also hid a pornography compulsion for a really long time as a teenager. Honesty was a scary thing in my house too. So like when the truth came out as a rule break or like me or my brothers did something and we try and blame each other um wherever the honesty landed it was never really met with mercy but just consequence and so with my pornography compulsion i was scared and shamed 
into hiding it to the point that lying felt more like a reflex than a choice. I really felt like that bad guy from Batman, you know, Two-Face. Oh, yeah. Uh, on one side, I was living the good church-going kid. But on the other hand, I was disfigured and scarred and didn't know how to take care of that. Mm. And I did not let anyone else, and I mean anyone else, ever see that side of me. I was afraid it would permanently ruin me, and that was a lie that shame told me. And growing up in that community, there is a lot of shame and guilt that is heaped around pornography. And regardless of what you feel or don't feel about pornography, my experience was one that was shrouded with shame. Yeah. When you reference Batman villain, my brain went to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which shows you how much I know about Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Different person, but yeah, just the, the very... A large dissonance between the two halves of yourself. The half that felt like you had to put on a show and the half that felt like a fraud. Uh, so, so both of us had heaps of shame from our own lives up until our meeting. And then early on in our marriage, we experienced some things that bred even more shame. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, talk about absolutely. So uh, again, we, we grew up the, the same Christian religion and grew up very conservatively in that religion. And uh, as part of the the wedding ceremonies, I guess there's a specific ceremony in which a couple is sealed together along with the signing of their marriage certificate. So it is a big deal for two families with a lot of members of this same religion, which our families were. And so... To spare you the drama and the weight, we didn't go through with that part of the ceremony. Uh, Part of the requirements for the ceremony are uh, going and having an interview with your ecclesiastical leader and getting a lot of questions regarding your worthiness. And Em and I decided we couldn't answer those questions honestly, so we abstained from that religious ceremony and were married civilly. Sorry, can I jump in before you keep going? Yeah. So to put this into perspective... Our college, which was sponsored by, created by, run by the same church we were talking about here. Yeah. It was also just 15 minutes away from my hometown, which was very saturated with um, members of this church, this religion. So not only did we have our families to be like, yo, not going through with this ceremony, too. It felt like we had my entire, like, 3,000 plus person hometown Mm. as well. Yeah. And I know that isn't accurate. I know that's not true. But it felt so big. It felt so big and shameful and dark and just like a big hand slap. Like we disappointed everyone and couldn't show our faces. And I felt like, you know, here I was finally, finally, I was enough for this great guy. I was finally enough to be loved. It was finally my turn for the wedding and the pictures and the cute apartment the starting of a life. And I know that sounds so desperate saying it out loud. (laughs) I know it sounds so desperate and it was desperate. You know, I was so locked in to so many lies and insecurities and shame filled thought patterns, but I was so thrilled for that time of my life. But then I wasn't because I didn't do it, you know, quote the way I thought I was supposed to unquote. Yeah. And like for me, 
I didn't have the whole like hometown shame. Yeah. But I did definitely feel like Mulan after Mushu finds her and she's like, Dishonor oh, yeah. on you, Dishonor on, on your cow, cow. Dishonor on your family. <laughs> and, Make a note of this. Yeah. So especially uh, for me too, as one of the only one of my siblings who was still uh, fully active in, in our church as an adult. Yeah. I, I did feel like kind of the golden child and felt like um, I was the pedestal for the family to look up to. And when shameful things like that happen in our family, we don't really deal with it. We we kind of just <laughs> what? get it over with. What? And you sweep it under the rug? Sweep it. <laughs> Sweep it aside. I wouldn't say we sweep it under the rug, Let's but we, we it's not even like in the rug. It's out of the house. <laughs> yeah. We kicked it out. Yeah. We, what? Nobody yeah. else does that. We don't deal with it. So <laughs> That's sarcasm. Everyone does that. Yeah. At least most people do that. I don't know a family that is not doing yeah, that. If you're true. a family who doesn't do that, will you comment and tell us what you're like? You're Are best. you happy? <laughs> what is it like to be better than everyone else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I? better than everyone <laughs> <laughs> uh, it feels like um that scene from princess diaries i don't know if you know i don't know if you've seen that movie yes where yeah where mia's slapping her retainer in and saying just in case i'm not enough of a freak already let's add a tiara like i had my own shame you had your own shame mm-hmm. we got together and added shame from that onto our own piles, our shame own shame party. Yeah, our own shit tons. But that's how our relationship started. We loved each other. We Absolutely. got along great. Absolutely. Totally live, laugh, love, you know? Except for this heaping amount of shame. It was like a mountain underneath us. Separately that we brought, but then added on to by the situation of our early days yeah and how are we supposed to live laugh love in those conditions <laughs> we're, we're throwing out so many memes <laughs> if you're like what are they talking about it's okay just we spend way too much time on reels and tiktoks it's fine yeah you're doing great with your life <laughs> uh, i just i remember babe i remember hiding in our apartment like i didn't actually hide because i had work in class still mm-hmm. but i didn't actively pursue things that I used to, that I had previously pursued, right? I didn't have the, the same level of hobbies or interests in outside things that I used to. I didn't want to show my face or be seen in big groups. I wanted to hide from even myself because to me, it felt like I'd never outgrow that or live up to what others thought of me. I remember posting a lot on Facebook too and Instagram, you know, pictures that we took and um, paragraphs documenting our lives. You can, I think you can still go read a lot of them on Instagram. Um, and they were captions that I really genuinely meant. And I still mean, cause like I said, there was a lot of that goodness, right? Yeah. We were living, laughing, loving. Absolutely. There was goodness in our marriage. We loved each other and we still love each other, but I posted it for all the wrong reasons. I just wanted so desperately to find any escape from that crushing shame, from the weight of the judgment and the not enough feeling of our life. Yeah. And for me, on top of all of this religion, or the religious background, excuse me. I I had this idea that once we got married, like my compulsions would just go away Mm. and I would never have to deal with them. They would just, you know, how I grew up. They would just sweep themselves under the rug. (laughs) Nope, there's not even a rug. They would just leave. Yeah. I thought my shame would go away too. You know, we both did. We both entered mm -hmm. this relationship with such high hopes that it would just heal us. 
not realizing we would have to do the healing. Yeah. And as we figured out, that is completely and utterly not the case. Mm -hmm. So much to my chagrin, (laughs) um, my compulsions were still there. And this fantasy that I drafted up in my head would simply go away because I could have sex now. So yep. why why do the other compulsive behavior? Mm-hmm. And uh, on top of that now, uh, I also had additional shame added because I was lying to the person that I cared the most about in the world. And I, I was hiding it from her and I was hiding it from you, Em. Yeah. I will say, though... As a side note to this heavy, give a little sweet bit here. <laughs> we really did make lemonade out of, you know, what I think of now as our perceived lemons then. What really felt sour at the time, which I look back on now and just so much grace and gratitude for those two who had no idea what they were doing, but just loved each other so freaking fiercely and who mm-hmm. wanted the happiness and the joy that mm-hmm. they saw with one another that they felt with one another the fulfillment and the belonging and the happiness you know the ability to create this life so much grace for those two who just clung to that yeah and kept going when it was really freaking hard um because we traveled right we cooked together we went on adventurous dates we freaking hiked so much nathan likes to hike and i like nathan so we hiked (laughs) (laughs) you know we we met up uh between classes um and have lunch together we would meet up between work and walk across campus and meet up in like it's really inconvenient for me but it's great for you or vice versa places yeah we would do that a lot we did the kissing in the hallways thing we we jammed out to mumford and sons and jonesy while we drove you know, do you remember um, the mall kiosk picture booth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where I had to sit on your lap and take pictures. But it was good. I really yes. loved it. You know, the shame was still there for sure. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. You know, it wasn't all this heavy, difficult stuff. I think that's what allowed the shame to stay so long, really, was the highs that helped hide it. Yeah. And one thing, too, that kind of stuck with me um, as we went through our healing process is that when when downs happen they're still goods like yes when you're in the downs that's not the entirety of a relationship and so there is uh ups and the ups still have credit they still have value even when they happen in the downs even when they happen in the downs exactly so sorry i finished your sandwich there (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, and I, I have fond memories, too, of our, our first apartment, our first anniversary. I tried to pull out all the stops and oh, yeah, that make dinner. our little pasta dish. <laughs> I felt like I was Emerald Lagasse up in there. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, I, I literally spent hours Googling, trying to yeah. figure out with, like, the dry pasta that we had. Not even fresh pasta. It was dry pasta, hey, but, you know. Living, laughing, loving on a college student right. budget. <laughs> That's right. So I, I got out candles and the fine china, which oh was like gosh. the eight plates that my mom got us for our from wedding the from the Corel store. Uh, oh but yeah, so you know, good. I even tried to put a little single parsley leaf on, make it garnish. <laughs> and, and I wanted it to be an experience. And like those experiences that we had... Uh, really were like a lot of fond foundational me- memories for the beginning mm-hmm. of our marriage. 
and despite our mountains that we had to well and we, we wanted to hide but eventually got to the point that we were going to have to deal with them or we weren't going to be able to stay married mhm and spoiler alert we're still married yes we are <laughs> so we dealt with them and happier now we, than ever <laughs> happier <laughs> It's a word, I'm sure. <laughs> Put it somewhere. Write it down. Yeah. Uh, we, but we dealt with it. We dealt with the shame. We're dealing with the shame. But it hurt. It was hard. It mm-hmm. is hard. There were a lot of dark days. When it reached the apex, though, when we couldn't carry the shame and still walk forward with connection, our marriage almost ended. It was awful. Uh, I I remember the day that kind of all of my lies came out and just the the heaps of shame that I had piled on myself and all of that only to hear that you had like seriously looked into getting a divorce. I mean, the the pain was so intense that like deep in my stomach that it literally gave me vertigo. My heart was breaking, too. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't figure out where I stood. Everything felt like it was shifting and moving. I was just desperately trying to figure out where to take a break, you know? It was heartbreaking to put it in the mildest way. And whatever your feelings or belief are on pornography, that's that. It's yours. And it was like that for me in that moment. It really wasn't about the compulsion anymore. But the lying, up to that point, we'd been to couples therapy and seminars and classes. We'd read books and done hours of emotional work together. But it truly felt like there was a part of Nathan that couldn't show up for me, for us, in our relationship, because he was so hidden behind that shame. I'd bid and asked and worked for that part to come out, to show itself to me. But the shame of his actions ran so deep, he couldn't. He didn't know how. And I'll add, um, from, from my perspective on your experience, honey, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll add that, you know, Nathan's shame about his actions impacted how he felt about himself. He felt bad. He felt unsafe to be vulnerable. Shame, like it does, told him the story that he was bad. That bad feeling went so deep that he believed himself less than worthy of a connected and honest relationship. Yeah, and if I can jump in here, uh, I felt like there was this part of me that I could not change, no matter how much I wanted it, and I I did want Mm -hmm. it, genuinely. I, I wanted you in our marriage, and it took a lot of repeated efforts to break down this super highway of shame surrounding my compulsion that had just been built in my brain. I mean, I felt powerless to stop it. I felt like an imposter in my own skin. But until I chose to show you that side of myself that I was so deeply ashamed of, nothing was going to change. Yeah. It took vulnerability, huh? Mm -hmm. It took scary authenticity. Yes. Which that's what vulnerability and authenticity feel like for sure. I think you have to get to the point where living in the shame is more uncomfortable than the possibility of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Well, not the possibility. It's for sure. Vulnerable. Vulnerability yes. is key. <laughs> yeah. But it, it took us both authenticity. It, because remember, 
I had shame too. Mm-hmm. Choosing that vulnerability over our fear. Again, this isn't about pornography because almost two years after our near divorce, I right now, I wouldn't at all say we got to that point because of pornography. We got to that point because of the shame. Mm-hmm. We got to that point because of the stories that we were telling ourselves. We got to that place because of my shame, his shame, our shame. It was all telling us so many lies. Lies like we weren't safe to be open with each other. Lies that we weren't safe to be ourselves. Lies even, and maybe this is more for me, um, lies that told us we couldn't be enough for our, the other unless we were hustling so hard for a perfect, beautiful, uplifting personal standard that I had to have dinner on the table and be smiling the whole time. Shame smothered so much, and I legitimately feel like we lost our way to each other for a while. Mm, yeah, I mean... Shame definitely pushed me to the point that I had no alternative but to either accept a divorce or open up and release the shame. Mm. And I'm glad. I'm so happy that I did. Because, I mean, again, I'd had this compulsion for over a decade at this point. And I had so much shame that those choices made me a bad person. But instead, I, I had to trust him. The person I wanted to see me as a loving and good man with the parts of all of me that didn't feel loving or good. Man, talking about this, it's bringing yeah. up so much. Just so much. You feeling it? Yeah, like, I'm feeling it. How raw everything was for those months after. Like how it was almost like we were hearing everything through like swimmer's ear, I guess. Like when you're yeah. underwater and it was like muffled. But I was, like, keenly aware of our relationship. Like, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go from here? Well, yeah, and, like, when I had relapses and setbacks, like, those moments were awful, and it it felt like we were almost going back to square one uh, a lot of the time. Mm. But really what it was was painful, heartbreaking progress. Yes, it was practice of that vulnerability Mm -hmm. that we weren't used to. And I had to practice, like, actually treating myself kindly. Like, I had to really dig in with all the work that I had started, you know, after we had Sophie and I was, I was, like, ready to unalive myself. All that work that I had started that was in the process of, I had to go even further and confront the shame that I had about, like, existing. (laughs) I had to speak to those parts of myself and say, I deserve the relationship that I want. Mm-hmm. I deserve the family that as much as I can, as much as I have control over, that I can help create and facilitate, you know? Yeah. And and I had to be there to be the the person who was willing, or not willing, but w- lived up to the standard of what I feel like you deserved. And that was hard. Uh, a lot of the time to feel like I I could still take that place or if I was deserving of that place even because of the shame I felt and the shame that we both felt. So, In a roundabout way, choosing honesty over complacency helped me see and speak to so much of my own shame because I was in that pick-me place. I was in the all-take-scraps place that was fueled by shame and self-doubt. So me standing up that morning facing Nathan 
and demanding a change for us both was a pinnacle moment in my life. It feels like everything I'm doing now is a direct result of that choice. A lot of stuff we did to, quote, get better, unquote, I wouldn't ever do again because so much of our healing and growth was already inside of us. We just had to tune into it, Mm -hmm. to trust it and to trust each other. And again, whatever your thoughts and views on pornography are, that's not why we're here. This isn't an episode about pornography because for very different reasons from each of us, shame almost destroyed our marriage. What causes our shame does matter. For Nathan, a huge part of that was pornography. For me, a huge part of it was my trauma and past abuse. What causes our shame does matter, of course. That's why I'm here, trying so hard to speak to the experiences that our shame tags along for. That's why Nathan is here, Mm -hmm. offering up this authentic and vulnerable part of his life. But shame, at the end of the day, is shame. It's what tells us to hide and sit down. It's what told Nathan that he couldn't be safe to tell me the truth, to be honest, and show me all parts of himself. It's what made me think that I deserved scraps. It tells us to sit down and shut up and to keep lashing ourselves for all we didn't or did do or say. Yeah, and it it did take work. And so to we get got rid to of work. that shame, we got to work. I I went to therapy within that month and started talking about the hard things. And I also had to tell my dad, uh, again, going back to my childhood where honesty was scary because of hard and harsh consequences, uh, I, I kind of had to own up to that and grow from it and push past it. And so I felt like I had to be a certain son for my dad and admitting to those behaviors was a... A step towards the potential dismantling of the way he thought of me. And here I was, you know, his son who'd stayed in the church. He loved owning up to this reality of the shameful part of our culture. But I I had to trust in the authenticity and the Mm. scary stuff because that was the only direction that shame wasn't in. And I had to take the risk of my dad being disappointed in me, but... I chose to be proud of myself regardless because that's where shame wasn't. That was a huge step in your healing for sure. Yeah. It was all huge. Oh, it really was. An overhaul. Yeah. So shame almost ended our marriage. If you're in a place like us, regardless of the reasons behind the shame, we want to help. We went through all of our memories of that time and thought long about what legitimately helped us. And we hope, too, that this episode has helped you. So here are our top four tools (laughs) for helping a relationship through shame. Number one, therapy, people. I know. Everybody needs therapy. You need therapy. (laughs) And, And here's a key, too. Both individual and couples. Having someone with clinical tools to mediate your discussions along with give you insight into what pain points and pinpoints you have is invaluable. We cannot recommend enough finding a good therapist. If the first one doesn't fit with you, move on. Keep looking until you find the support you deserve. And just a side note, we recognize that therapy is a privilege. Um, We only were able to afford therapy in college because it was provided with some of the benefits our college offered 
So if you're like, mm, cool story, M, but we can't afford therapy, um, I would recommend reading some books by Brené Brown. Pretty much anything you read by Brené Brown is going to talk about shame, vulnerability, and authenticity. Also, there's some really awesome marital tools by um, or, or via the Gottman Institute. You can find them on every social mm, media platform. They have some good. fantastic books that you can get for like free at your library or for cheap online. Um, just pretty much any therapeutic tool you already use that already helps you with your mental health, you can use with your partner, but just pinpoint it, you know, arrow it, throw your energy into specifically helping with the shame of your relationship. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add my two cents to the Gottman Institute. I think they're basically the the Harvard of relationships. Yes, so, they know what they're talking about. Yep, they sure do. The second tool is to have boundaries around your vulnerability. When shame starts to tell you stories, set off some kind of internal alarm and move very far away from that. If shame's telling you you're unlovable, that you'll never get past this, or that you're getting cornered in your past behaviors, move away. Set boundaries, tell your partner how you're feeling, to journal, to breathe, to tell your therapist to say affirmations, even go on a run, something. Have a boundary to set that alarm off and say, hey, that's shame talking, not the truth. So one of the things that I did for this, when I would feel like I was coming up to the line um, of, of my compulsion, I would rather than retreating into shame tell myself if <clears throat> excuse me if the thoughts are coming repetitively or if uh i had like a lasting feeling about what i did like any sort of shame that lasted more than 5 minutes uh i had m to go to to kind of disclose that shame and to foster connection. And I think that's one really powerful aspect of this mm. boundary is that connecting connecting with something or someone somehow is going to pull you away from that shame. Mm-hmm. Man, so attracted to you right now. You're saying so <laughs> many good things. The third, I guess, rule or guideline or tip um, is the hardest for me. I think it's hardest because I'm the betrayed spouse, having hope and trust in Nathan has been massively impactful for my healing. It's also been like, at times it's felt impossible. It's sometimes also been the only thing that carried us through to the next morning. (laughs) And it's scary as hell. Your spouse has a duty to honor that trust too. Use those boundaries you set to hold each other to an honest and vulnerable standard. And lean into the trust. Scary, I know. Feels like crossing a bridge that doesn't exist. But it's worked for me. And our fourth and final one is to be trustworthy. If you're the partner who has betrayed the other, be worthy of the trust they're extending. Be forthcoming with with things. Um, Check in with them as much as they are checking in with you. I feel like a lot of the time... Uh, in our own relationship, I could tell you wanted to ask, but you were extending me the the trust of trusting me that I would come to you. And in those moments, I, I thought it would be a good idea to check in with you as well. So show signs that mm. 
uh, you're you're still that trustworthy person that they want you to be. Yeah, that you're interested in that. And I will say, if you're saying, hey, but wait, Em and Nate, my relationship, our shame isn't coming from betrayal. This fourth rule can still apply because just like we said, shame hates connection. Shame struggles to thrive where connection is growing. So in being trustworthy, regardless of whether you've been betrayed or not, being trustworthy and seeking connection as a partnership Mm -hmm. can aid in the lessening of shame. Yeah. And like, that was why I I had disclosed to my dad about this is that it, it was an additional point by which I could foster connection. Exactly. So that's it, I guess. Not really, because as we keep growing and loving, we'll have more to say. But this is how we'll start. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. I'm Emily. And I'm Nathan. And And this this is Speaking Speaking to Shame. I can't wait to rediscover who we were before shame told us we weren't enough. I can't wait to find those parts of us that need healing, that feel unfindable and unlovable, and remind them that shame is not our truth, 